0: Welcome to Reading Rooney,
1: an exercise in collaborative scholarship. On this podcast, you will hear from a variety of book lovers, including English literary scholars, graduate students, and general readers as we openly discuss, celebrate, and critique the work of author Sally Rooney. I'm your host, Christina Marcucci. Wherever you are, thank you sincerely for being here. Today, I am joined by Emily Farmer. A course lecturer for an undergraduate analytical business class in mcgill's des hôtels faculty of management she has completed her undergraduate and master's degree in english literature at mcgill university her research focuses on female friendship digital communications and affect theory in contemporary novels in this episode, Emily and I explore the centrality of female friendship in conversations with friends and beautiful world, where are you? With a particular emphasis on what Emily has termed friend Here's our conversation. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your research and your, your project that you worked on in terms of female friendship and that trope in literature?
0: Absolutely. Um, first of all, Thank you so much for having me. Like I'm so honored and I <laughs> I really love Rooney and I love an opportunity to talk about her. So I'm very pleased to be able to do this. Um, But yeah, so I did my MA at McGill and I was focused, I knew immediately that I wanted to study contemporary literature, that's always what I've been interested in. Um, And I was actually reading a book on my personal time. I was reading uh, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. um, And I was really intrigued by the two kind of female parental relationships that are in that. So I'm not sure if you've read the book, but There are these two women, Mia and Elena, and they're both parents to these young children. They're, like, high school-aged-ish. And Elena's character is entirely consumed by Mia's character. Just, like, so obsessed with her, but they rarely have any dialogue together. Like, they don't actually know each other that well or have a lot of conversations together. And that was kind of the starting point as far as, like, what is up with this female relationship? Which, like, I can't necessarily call a friendship, and yet Mm -hmm. is a kind of like obsession with Mm -hmm. each other that Mm -hmm. isn't really defined by actual relationships, right, that are enacted through conversations and dialogue, and that kind of thing. So that was very much my starting point as far as this weird iteration of a female friendship. Um, And from there, uh, I was really interested in, uh, I, I suppose, kind of, updating the terminology of like frenemies so frenemies are of course you know the label that's used when you're kind of friend with someone but you're also kind of their enemy right and it's kind of just a an antagonistic relationship while also being a kind of friendship um but the thing about that kind of like relationship is that it's so often um, considered very toxic, right? It's considered very harmful. Right. Like, you shouldn't have a frenemy, you shouldn't have a frenemy relationship, and this person's probably draining um, you in some way. Um, But what's interesting is that, like, that kind of relationship has come up. Like, I think it's most often associated with women, and that's partly why I was getting onto that idea of, like, a frenemy thing, because women are so often depicted as, like, you know, catty with one another, right? right? Or, like, some antagonistic in some way, as far as, like, comparing themselves to each other, being envious, jealous, that kind of thing. Um, And I was kind of trying to trace the, I can't say I necessarily traced the history of it because that would be a huge survey, but I was thinking back to like Jane Austen's Emma, which is Mm -hmm. I think an interesting example of this type of friendship that was occurring, you know, several hundred years ago. Um, And you've got Emma, of course, as the main character, and she's got this female friend, Harriet, who's a bit younger than her, who's kind of her protege, if you will. Um, and, you know, she, on the one hand, tries to help Harriet, right? Tries to help her find, like, uh, a man that she's deserving of, right? But on the other hand, also carries this burden of, like, envy and frustration and annoyance, right? So they have a very intimate relationship. They're very close to one another. And yet, they also occupy these strange, like, affective spaces of frustration, <clears throat> hostility, envying. So that's just kind of... That was kind of my my starting point as far as like okay this is this is something that's been happening in literature for a while the idea that f- female friends are at once loving and intimate and yet antagonistic in some way um, and I was noticing a parallel with I promise I'll get to the contemporary literature part soon no keep going this is
1: so interesting please
0: continue <laughs> okay okay um, but so I was kind of noticing a parallel with like using Emma as, as an example I was noticing a parallel in contemporary literature. You've got um, conversations with friends. You've got Rooney. We've got like Mona Awad's Bunny. I'm not sure if you've read that one. Oh my
1: God. Yes. I forgot about that. That's so true.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So like, that's a super fascinating, fascinating example of like this very tight knit group of women in like the university setting, which I think is a part of um, kind of trope that's emerging. Um, But at the same time, like, incredible hostility towards Warner, oh yeah right it is so predicated on the strange just oppositional relationships between them so it's just it's a fascinating dynamic that i think is um is very much a dynamic and not quite just a stagnant label like frenemy right i don't think frenemy yeah. necessarily captures those kinds of relationships it's very um, intricate <clears throat> exactly, exactly, yeah. It's it's so much more complicated, I think, than saying, like, oh, they're my friend, but also my enemy, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, like, the Neapolitan novels, right, which is just beyond complicated and complex in oh, its depiction yeah. of friendships, right? There's so clearly an obsession with, um, like, between the girls, right? But at the same time, uh, you know, just... I mean, I don't even know how to articulate it, right? It's hard to even articulate with just one word to capture it, right? Especially um, those
1: novels, just exactly, exactly. <laughs> out of this world, yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah. So basically, there's just these, these emerging trends of these really complicated female friendships that I just think are fascinating. Um, and I think it's interesting to consider them in updating the concept of frenemy. So... To get more specifically into what I was focusing on, I decided to try and develop a new term called frenmity, which is a basis of friend and enmity. Um, And I use this word to describe more of a mode in which women relate to one another and a mode in which they engage with one another versus a label like frenemy that is just, that is a frenemy, right? It's either... Mm -hmm that is a frenemy, I am a frenemy, versus I am in a relationship of frenemy, right? So it's much more active, it's much more dynamic, and importantly, it's being continuously upheld and enacted by the friends and the way they relate to one another. So that's really what I was focusing on, is trying to identify the, like, emergence of this kind of Topic: This kind of relationship in contemporary literature, and I couldn't help but focus on conversations with friends by Rooney because of just the fascinating nature of Francis and Bobby's relationship. Um, it's just remarkable to see how they're very much like attracted to one another, and I don't mean that in a purely romantic or sexual sense. But there's such a like magnetic attraction yeah. and like appealing nature to their friendship. Um, and yet it's also characterized, especially as we see through Francis's perspective, like there's incredible amounts of envy, of annoyance, of insecurity, right? So these things that are generally considered to be these negative affects, right? And yet the intimacy is still there, right? You can still see the strength of their relationship and just how close they are to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I was interested in as far as just, first of all, identifying this type of relationship in these books. So I focused on Conversations with Friends, as well as Sheila Hetty's How Should a Person Be? Okay. Which is, yeah, which is from 2010. And it's, it is a, it is a bit of a different setting, just by virtue of the the year difference, um, but it's still very much, it's about this woman who is growing as an artist, and has this friend Margot, who she's obsessed with, and um, just is continually defining herself in relation to, essentially. So it it exhibits a lot of the similarities, I would say, um, with conversations with friends. Um, So I focused on those two uh, in my thesis work. Um, And in focusing on that, I also wanted to consider the kind of emerging prevalence of digital technology. Yes, I wanted to
1: ask you about that.
0: Yeah, so I was really trying to consider the intersection of the two because I think they're very heavily related. And so what I ultimately argue in my thesis work is that the digital communications, that is emailing and texting, not only reflect these kinds of franimity relationships or represent them, but they actually enable them and they produce them. So by virtue of using digital technology, it's actually shaping the way people engage with one another because of you know, not interacting in person or because of the immediacy of texting or emailing Mm -hmm. um and you know there's just a a whole host of factors that go into digital communication right versus in-person communication so i was really interested in that so that's kind of what i focused on was both the frenmity and the digital technology and how the digital communication in both of these books because sheila hetty's book really focuses on email between them whereas rudy has uh email and texting um But I was focusing on how they really, these messages and the discourse surrounding the digital communications really encodes the affects of framity. So So I have a quick question um, before
1: you continue. So we see, obviously, this is the digital communication is very prevalent in the Rooney, in conversations, and especially in Beautiful World. It's also prevalent in Bunny. I read the, he- the Sheila Hetty novel like a few years ago, but I assume it's quite prevalent there. But I would say that the same dynamics between all the women in these novels is also still very similar to Lila and Elena, but they don't have the digital communication. So can you say a little bit more to like, how does the access to email and text differentiate those two kinds of relationships?
0: That's a really good question. And I hadn't really considered that too closely as far as like the Neapolitan novels and like the lack of digital communication in relation to um, the others that do have it. I think there is still something similar being done in the Neapolitan novels as far as Lila crafting the character that is, um, it's Lenu, right?
1: Yeah, so Lenu or Elena crafts Lila. So it's like first person from Lenu's perspective.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. No. So, yeah, so Lenu um, is very much crafting Lila's like character for herself without actually interacting with her as much. Right. Um, and I think something similar happens with the like what is being allowed by digital technology, right? Because oftentimes digital, digital technology necessarily means that you're at a distance, right? That you're not with the person. And so, when you are communicating with them and when you're getting just messages, right? When you're getting messages beyond like not including their nonverbal gestures or what they look like, what their tone is. Um, There's a lot of impetus on the receiver to like, determine the meaning of those messages, if you will, right? And to kind of craft a person or character as a result of what they have access to. So I'd say there's actually kind of a similarity, I think, as far as what um Lenu's doing in the Neapolitan novels right which is that they're not always together and yet she's always thinking about Lila right that that is incredibly interesting it's
1: almost like Lenu's distance from Lila um like on the page like as a as a narrative mimics the kind of distance that we have when we're communicating electronically um so no I think that's so cool
0: yeah yeah and that would be kind of my, my suggestion but it's still like, so I would say that just a theme is carried through. It's just being iterated in different ways. And I would mm-hmm. say that, like, and this isn't just that Neapolitan novels aren't relatable, but I think that Rooney's doing something particularly interesting in, like, showing these themes through ways that we communicate every day, right? Um, and I think what's, what's beautiful about this, and, and partly why I was proud of the work that I was doing, was just that no one was paying attention to the digital messages in these novels and, and acknowledging true. just how much um, meaning they might carry, right? We, we tend to take um, – this is, this is coming from uh, – there's a book by Zara Dinan called The Digital Banal, and she talks about how like the digital technology every day has very much – it's become an everyday part of our lives to the point where we just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Like we don't realize the degree to which it's shaping us or the degree to which we are almost dependent on digital technology, and that's really what I think about when I when I think of like conversations with friends or Hetty's, <coughs> pardon me, or Hetty's book, where, um, like it's it's so commonplace to be reading a text conversation or to be reading an email conversation between characters because it's what we do in our everyday lives, right? So it's it's easy I think to dismiss that as just well it's just another form of communication, right? It's just another way that you know authors are showing dialogue between characters, rather than considering what's actually being allowed by it. So I, I would argue that, like, I think the, the theme of these characters crafting, um, like, crafting characters out of their friends is really just embodied more explicitly through the digital messaging because i think it's just so much more obvious like you can think about any instance where you've received a text from someone and it's been ambiguous in some way and so you, you you start overthinking and you're like well they used this kind of punctuation they used a period at the end maybe that's a little bit aggressive are they upset with me right like that kind of process of overthinking is just us trying to project what we think of someone to their message. So would you go as
1: far as, as to say that um, character formation and development in these novels is happening directly through um, technological communication? Like, Because we we get Bobby through Francis, We don't get Bobby on her own. We only get Bobby in relation to Francis, in the same way that we only get Leela in relation to Lenu, even though there's no technology there. And we only get... There's Samantha and who's her who's the other, in Bunny, who's the other person? Oh, I, I don't know if I can remember the, the Her friend. There, but, uh, friend I, yeah. I, but yeah, we get her friend through Samantha. So it's like these characters only develop through the purview of our first-person narrator who is using technology.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And that was like, that's kind of an interesting, like, paradox, if you will, um, that I really, I touched on towards the end of my work as far as kind of opening it up for, for future research. But um, the the emphasis on the digital communications in these novels actually emphasizes the reciprocity between characters, right? Because you're actually getting messages from these people themselves, right? Versus the narrators, versus the protagonists just saying, oh, they said this, or this is what I thought they did, this is what I thought they meant by this, right? When you're getting someone's actual message, like that's, that's their own voice, right? And especially because it's being typed, there's no room for like taking creative liberties with it, right? Um, And yet, exactly as you just said, what's interesting is that we ultimately see that these characters are still only defined in relation to the protagonist, right? Because we're still just getting it from their perspective. So I think it's a strange paradox that I think authors are probably grappling with at this point, right? Which is how how do you actually show a supporting character? Or in this case, I think they're equally protagonists, right? Because of how important they are. But how do you depict them in their own voice, as their own person, when you can't help but define them or show them through the lens of the protagonist, if you will? Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's something—it's something interesting to to struggle with. But I, but I think that that's why it's one of the reasons why I think the digital technology is fascinating, right? Because we are we are getting their own voices and we're getting their own personality, but. Um, Because you can still, like, especially when the the texts or the emails are copied verbatim, right, and they're just their own kind of text block, and the narration just accompanies it before and after, like, that separate kind of text block is for the reader to consider themselves, right, to read into beyond what the narrator's then going to go on to analyze about it, right? You get that so many times in um, conversations with friends. Like, Francis will, you know, meditate, like, truly pages-long meditation on these text conversations with Bobby, um, yeah, And so, yeah, so you you, you get obviously Francis' interpretation, but you also have an opportunity as a reader to just look at the messages for yourself and interpret them as you will. Um,
1: then, yeah, I'm thinking about specifically in terms of text and not email because the emails in Beautiful World are just something altogether different, yeah. but text specifically, I'm wondering, Cause there's only so much that you can say in a text. I mean, just the kind of like genre, if you will, of a text is that it's short. It's um, typically kind of just to convey basic information. Um, Do you think that that kind of mode of writing contributes to the low affect kind of tone of Rooney's novels? Like it's blunt, it's just curt, it's, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, it's not descriptively rich. A text is not descriptively rich.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, like, I'm happy to, I'm happy to answer that, because I think that's really often the descriptions of Rooney's books, right, which is that they're super low affect, they're very muted, there's very Mm -hmm. little description, it's very sparse. And yet, what I was focusing on in my work was truly saying, like, okay, but these texts are powerful as far as the kind of feelings that they're encoding. And it's just that we have to use a different like tool set to be able to analyze them. We can't be using the traditional tool set of, you know, expecting flowery descriptions and like explicit displays of emotion or, you know, the opportunity to interpret social behaviors as a way to access interiority or consciousness. Like there was an article that I read, I think it was a it was an article by Rob Madole, and I think it was for it was some review anyways, but he was analyzing, like, conversations with friends and normal people, I believe, and it was his article in particular that was focused on the idea that, yeah, there's just, there's actually, like, a lack of emotion because of how muted it is, right, and it's low for affect, and yet I, I kind of wholly disagree with that as far as what we get access to with these texts, and that's part of my, the point of my work is really saying, you know, if we... If we close read these texts and that's really what i did in my thesis was like i was really breaking down these text conversations to suggest that if we read into them and give them this space that they deserve and we consider the cultural context around text right coming back to the idea of like overthinking and being like oh this period at the end of a sentence feels aggressive like that in and of itself is like a new type of language that we are using to interpret text and i think if we use that and we use the cultural context surrounding texting, we can actually glean a lot of meaning from it. So I think it actually subverts the apparent low affect from this
1: is This is incredible. I was, and it reminds me of the conversation I was having with Professor Tabitha Sparks about narratology as a practice. And she was saying that Rooney's novels are actually perfect for narratological interpretation because they are not as traditionally descriptive, as we would see in a, a realist novel. Mm-hmm. And so it really kind of forces the reader to dig in and consider the cultural context, but also the language, the specific language and what it's conveying. So I think that it's like, completely fascinating that you're considering this in terms of like, f- friendmity um, and what it kind of says about uh, w- friendship between women.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I... I... Yeah, it was a really fascinating project, and it's it's nice to be able to say too. I'm like, yeah, my my work just involves studying texts in books. Like, it's pretty it's a pretty fascinating thing, and uh, and especially too, like the reason why I wanted to focus on that was because there's actually so little of like that kind of digital communication in recent contemporary literature, especially like literary fiction or what is considered more often like highbrow, yes. quote unquote, highbrow literature, um, which I don't necessarily agree with. but... Is, a, is another uh, topic for another day. Um, but it, yeah, it's just fascinating that there was, there was such a lag as far as when these, these kinds of um, modes of communication became prevalent. And so I'm interested now as to why they're being used. And I think they're really, yeah, my suggestion is that they're very much being used as a tool to highlight these themes of female friendship and the complexity of them, right? That they're not purely loving and intimate or antagonistic and like spiteful right and yeah. that they they exist in their complexity and that an ultimate conclusion that i that i make an argument for is that i don't think we actually need to resolve this kind of frenmity that exists and that it can actually be quite productive and quite powerful to acknowledge the different facets of a female friendship and that it it doesn't have to only be loving and intimate or or that that those things can't coexist with the kind of antagonism that might otherwise be felt.
1: I I would agree with you, but I I would also say that at times that kind of dynamic, the mix between like a deep love and connection but also it's not a hatred but like jealousy, mm-hmm. um envy, obsession, it can often feel codependent. And I think we see that a lot with Francis and Bobby and I know this, this is a podcast about Rooney, but I just, just keep talking about the Ferrante novels, but also with Leela and Elena, we see that. Um, what do you... I guess, not to kind of psychologize it too much, but like, how do you reconcile the idea of friendmity with the idea of codependence?
0: Yeah, so I, I certainly do think that they're similar, but what I would suggest is and like i'll do another not a historical lesson because i'm not an expert but i just think that there's a wider historical and like cultural context that is, that might help us explain this codependence if you will especially like francis and bobby's relationship um and i would suggest that like you know if we think about how like women have almost always been like pitted against one another, they've always been compared to one another. Right. Like you think about the, you know, the phrase from like the 2000s, right? Of like, not like other girls, right? Mm-hmm. There's always been this idea that, or at least for a long time, there's the idea that it's good to not be like other girls, right? And to not subscribe to like traditional or stereotypical um, manifestations of femininity. Um, but most recently, like that's been challenged, right? And normally, like not like other girls is used in a, in a more mocking way right um in a sense to highlight just how absurd it is the idea that um to either engage in uh traditional forms of femininity or not like that shouldn't define you as your identity as a woman right right but i would suggest that we still as women can't escape the fact that we're always defined in relation to one another Right? I think that it, it feels like there's this constant pressure as far as how we are performing as women, whether it's you know, regarding our, our identity as a woman or not, or it's just our personality, whatever. Um, I just think that there's such a strange cultural pressure um, surrounding women um, comparing themselves. And so what I would say is that by virtue of this like a relational dynamic and the fact that it's, it's almost impossible to exist, right? Like you cannot be a woman in a vacuum, right? You were always a woman in relation to other women in other, in relation to other communities of women. Um, so by virtue of that, I think we've learned to rely heavily on defining ourselves in relation to other women. And I think that that's what we see with Bobby and Francis. Like it is certainly a codependence, but I think it's actually kind of, or I would suggest it's a manifestation of, um, of the fact that we have to rely on other women to define ourselves right and that our work of growing and evolving is dependent on another person and i think that that's that's really what we see in this book especially because of the way that it is structured around the evolution of their relationship throughout the entire book um i think that really points to just because I, I would argue that Rooney's novels are ultimately character-driven. There's not that oh, much yeah. plot. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally. <laughs> um, and 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 so so by virtue of that, like we're focusing on, like, especially in this one, because it's just from Frances' perspective. Like the point of the book is really Frances' character and how she grows. Right. We see her at the beginning. She claims to be unemotional, um, and she claims, like, she refers to herself at one point as, like, you know, an unemotional, like, cold woman, essentially. But then towards the end, we get these more explicit. Displays of emotion, especially in relation to Bobby, they have like that last email exchange, or it's the email that um, Frances sends to Bobby, being like, "I, I now just want to sleep with you without metaphors," and like just expressing kind of her care for her and her love for her in the most explicit way. Um, at that, up until that point in the book, um, so my point being that I just think that showing them as codependent is i think it's an appropriate label that they're codependent but i think it's much more a response to women still learning to negotiate their own identities in relation to other women and especially negotiating their emotions i would argue that rooney's characters are so predicated on the emotions that they're feeling beyond their personality beyond their interests Mm -hmm. um they're really defined by emotions so i think that that's really what's I would suggest that that's what's being done here. Is really just the the identity work um, in relation to uh, another woman. Does that, and does that make sense? It, of
1: course, it makes sense, and it resonates. <laughs> like it's true for me. Like as a young teenage girl, kind of comparing myself to my other girlfriends, and you know, negotiating my identity uh, as a young teenager, you know, like 100% it makes sense. I think that it's very resonant. Um, what do you make of the kind of, I would say, romantic undertones? Not, I mean, with Francis and Bobby overtones, but I, I think also with Alice and uh, Eileen, there are some romantic undertones in their relationship, I think. Or, I mean, would you agree? Would you disagree?
0: Yeah, I, I would certainly agree. And I think... I think actually what Rooney does with these kind of romantic novels is just totally subvert what we expect of a romantic genre. And I think it's really fascinating. Like I remember having, I read a review recently where someone was reviewing conversations with friends and they were like, Oh, so like, you know, they were giving a brief synopsis being like, this is a romance novel and it's about this character, Francis, who engages in an affair with a married man. And like, that was the synopsis. And I was like, what? Where's Bobby? Like, <laughs> I know. And like, and that's the thing I was like, granted, I'm like, I'm showing my bias as far as like being more interested in the female friendships. But like, but I'm like, this this book to me is just about Bobby and Francis. I'm like, mm-hmm. Nick is purely a side character. He's a he's a supporting character, whereas Bobby, I, I would argue is so much more crucial to again, like she's crucial to who Francis's character is. Francis character becomes whereas Nick is just is, I would argue, purely a supporting character, right? He's mm-hmm. just a facet of Francis, whereas Francis and Bobby, I think, are, are just so connected, so much more yeah. connected. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of fascinating to think about these books as romances, and I think it I, I think it kind of calls into question what we assume to be romances and why maybe there are these romantic undertones um, in hers, and I, I wonder if it's just like thinking about reading a traditional romance, like we, we know immediately who the love interests are, right? We, right? we already know, we know immediately who the focal points are and who's going to end up together, right? Who, um, you know, the, the resolution that we're looking for, right? Especially when it comes to like the halfway ever afters. And I think we get something similar in Conversations Friends and Beautiful World where, you know, we have these characters who are engaging in these heterosexual relationships with men But ultimately, and at least for me as a reader, I was looking for these women to, um, I'll say, achieve a sort of resolution. Um, I think that that can look like different things. Um, But they seem to me like to mark the plot of the book, if you will, like the stages of their friendship. And so that's what I'm looking for in the conclusion is what is the ultimate scene between them, right? What is the ultimate connection between them versus the men so i wonder if just she does such a like renee does such a good job at just privileging the these kinds of friendships and relationships in a way that just totally like supersedes the heterosexual relationships right they, they seem like such side <clears throat> like plot points if you will in relation to how these women are engaging with one another and i think Like, it's interesting to consider Beautiful World, especially because we get access to those emails, these, like, very Mm -hmm. long emails that they use Mm -hmm. to communicate with each other. Um, And you are getting so much of their character through these emails by virtue of what they're communicating with their friend. And this kind of comes back to what I was just talking about as far as, like, it's through these friendships that they're able to express themselves. And they're able to express their emotions and what they're thinking and feeling. And we don't we don't get those kinds of conversations with the men. We don't get those really deep, um, very insightful conversations like we do between these women. So I think these female connections are just so strong and so powerful that we can't help but focus on them more and consider them to be the romantic, like center of the books, if you will.
1: And those letters also quite literally structure the novel and kind of glue it together as a coherent narrative. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think it's telling that at the end, Beautiful World ends with Eileen writing to Alice saying, yes, I'm going to marry Simon and I'm going to have a baby with him. But it's ultimately like Eileen telling Alice, it's like the yeah. conne- that connection and that communication is privileged over what Eileen is actually doing with Simon.
0: Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. Like the, the priorities on the communication of that to her friend versus the actual mm-hmm. thing happening, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating, but it, it is something that I think about a lot as far as why these novels are treated as romance novels, um, and, and whether we just need a more expansive definition of romance, um, to include them in, but, um, another part of the kind of romance part, and this is thinking more about, like, normal people, because I think normal people is just such a strange challenge to conversations with it, friends and, and a beautiful con- world. Yeah, and beautiful world, yeah. <laughs> um... Because it is much more, like, there are very few female friendship, female friendships depicted in normal people, and that's what I mm-hmm. noticed when I was reading it. Like, I was expecting the, you know, prevalent, at least a best friend type character, but Marianne really doesn't have that, right? We get these instances where, you know, she's in university, and she connects with a couple other women, but it's never, it never carries the same strength that, like, Conversations and, and Beautiful World does. Yeah. Um, and so I I wonder... I wonder the degree to which, like thinking about romance, like the traditional romance novels versus normal people, traditional romance to me is you do have to kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit, as far as the tropes that are used and the fact that things end up as a happily ever after, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know anyone in real life who's ever entered a fake dating situation, and yet that happens all the time in romance novels, right? And I'm not at all disparaging romance novels because I think they they're lovely, um, but just as a point of comparison to normal people, which feels. Incredibly real, and that's what it you hear as far as how why it resonates with people. It's yeah. just oh, this this is capturing how I feel in a relationship. This is how this is capturing how I felt in high school in university. Um, so it's interesting because I, I just I do think that Normal People is closer to a traditional romance as far as focusing on a heterosexual relationship, and it's it's very much focusing on the evolution of Marianne and Connell's relationship, but it feels like it's in a league of its own, just by virtue of the the vulnerability, the honesty of it, the I can't help but say like a type of realism just because it feels it feels so raw and real that it doesn't it's not giving you the same aesthetic experience as you would when you read a traditional romance novel. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah, so it's just I don't know, I think I think normal people's just an interesting one to consider as far as being more closely aligned with romance. And yet there's still these facets of it that just totally subvert it. I, I still Absolutely. I still think I would disagree. I don't I don't think Rinne is a romance novelist. And again, that's not at all disparaging the romance genre, but I just think that she's doing so much more in these novels. Those were kind of my questions, but was there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't
1: cover or any passages that you wanted to bring up that we can talk about?
0: Uh, yeah, actually, I have, like, one of my kind of favorite, this is one of the quotes that I noticed early on in my research that I just couldn't help but kind of latch onto, and I just, I had to make sure that I used it in my research. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a passage in um, Conversations with Friends where um, one of the interesting things that Frances does is she will go back to reflect on past conversations, past text conversations between her and Bobby, and I think it's... um, Uh, I have a whole section about that in my paper, so I could talk about that a little bit more if if you wanted. Yeah, oh my goodness, of course. (laughs) um, But uh, I'll start first with my emotional analysis. So this is on page uh, 186. Um, So Frances is describing an instance where she, quote, enters search terms that seemed willfully calculated to annoy me. Searching for the word, quote, feelings unearthed this conversation from our second year of college. Yeah, so Frances says, she's saying this to Bobby, so she says, you're committed to this view of me as having some undisclosed emotional life. I'm just not very emotional. And Bobby responds saying, I don't think unemotional is a quality someone can have. That's claiming not to have thoughts. And this passage was just remarkable when I read it. Because this is, like, we're at page 186, but Frances is still claiming to be unemotional. And yet... First of all, that's so abundantly not true. And part of that I think is that there's a lack of recognition for the quote unquote negative emotions that Frances feels, right? Any of the insecurity that she's feeling or the judgment that she feels towards Bobby, like she just can't even grapple with that um, as far as how those are emotions. But on the other hand, we have here, she's, she's entering search terms to find conversations that, that are willfully calculated to annoy her which I think is, like, that's... She's she's engaging in an emotional reaction right there. She's engaging in an emotional interaction right there, right? By doing something to inspire feelings in her. Um, and so it's interesting to see this reflection on a conversation that, that she had before. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I should say... So it's 186 in the novel, but of course, like, this is a conversation from, I think, a couple months prior. Um, right. But I think it's fascinating to see the kind of different philosophies that... Um, Bobby and Francis have here as far as Bobby being like, well, having thoughts and having emotions are just being human, right? That is part Mm -hmm. of the human experiences. And Francis claiming she's just, she just doesn't have, she's just unemotional, right? Which just feels it anyway. So I think it contributes to the, to the sense of low affect from Francis and, and what people are often identifying in Rooney. But I think even just in this passage, you're getting, you're getting these, these kind of antagonistic feelings, right? So um, Frances herself saying, you know, you're committed to this view of me, right? That's an establishment of an antagonism between them, right? Mm-hmm. Placing Bobby in opposition, claiming you are misunderstanding me, right? You, like, we have this intimate, we have this intimate relationship, um, because they're talking about feelings. Like, they're talking about something so intimate as, like, this is a, not the kind of conversation you have a small talk, right? Right. Um, so their, their intimacy is certainly established, and yet, like there's this, imi- there's a defensiveness from Francis here, right? Which I think establishes that kind of, like I use antagonism as a kind of umbrella term. Um, so I, I really love this. Uh, I really love this passage. I think it's just an interesting encapsulation of, of books themes. It is interesting.
1: And also that line, you're committed to this view of me. In a sense, like Francis is committing us as readers to a view of Bobby by yeah. extension. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's all about kind of character construction on a metafictional level for us readers, but also about, um, their intimate relationship, their personal friendship.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of, yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great passage, but, um, if, if you don't mind, if I could just talk a little bit about the, the idea of looking back on, um, text conversations. So one thing that's really interesting, this passage, um, this is on page 80. And for context, so this part of my paper, I was really focusing on this, again, this like, um, retrospective, retrospective, a view of these text messages, which I think is really fascinating um, because we often think of like texts or emails as just being a kind of present thing, right? They're presently conveying information and afterwards they're not necessarily relevant to us anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was interested in looking at that and looking at what it allows uh, Francis to do or what it allows Francis or Rooney, I should say, to represent through Francis. So um, for context, as far as um, what's happening in the narrative, This is a point when um, Francis has made, uh, like, a homophobic comment to Bobby. Um, I can't remember the comment exactly, but, oh, I think it's, okay, I think it's because she's revealed that she's in a relationship with Nick or she's having an affair with Nick or something like that, and she accuses Bobby of being jealous. Um, Right. Just, yeah, as as a result of that. And it's kind of just a, a throwaway line, but then bobby sends her this long email being like essentially calling her out for it be like that was homophobic and it wasn't cool and like i don't know why you had this kind of reaction in it mm-hmm. so but she gets it she gets this email which is again like essentially a call out from bobby and Frances just immediately like just has such an emotional reaction but it doesn't It doesn't manifest in the way that we would expect it so it's again it's being consistent as far as the low affect that rudy does but what i suggest here is that this passage is actually quite rich with um rich with emotion so the quote reads um i read the message several times this is francis reading the the email from bobby i read the message several times for some reason i deleted it briefly and then went into my trash folder to retrieve it almost straight away then i marked it as unread and opened it to read it again as if for the first time I wandered around the office and poured some water from the cooler into a plastic cup, though I wasn't thirsty. Then, eventually, I sat back down. It took me several drafts to finish writing my reply. So what's fascinating about this quote is that nothing really happens. Like, Frances Mm -mm. has done nothing, right? She's just rereading it, and she's using these, like, (coughs) digital functions that are available to her, um, through email, um... And yet there's so much to unpack as far as how this delay in answering, in even confronting what kind of emotions are being conveyed in Bobby's email, like that's what's being encoded in her using these random email functions or walking around or pacing, right? Because she's always thinking about this email and it's her, it's a reflection of her character not being able to really grapple with what she's being confronted with, right? And having to and having to confront the fact that she was mean, that she was hurtful towards her friend, that she mm-hmm. loved so much, right? Mm-hmm. And that she had this defensive reaction, um, which is, of course, like, rooted in her own insecurity with respect to her relationship with Nick, right? Like, it's rooted in so much. And so I, I would argue that there's just, there's a lot being conveyed in this one passage. And I think it's really fascinating to consider um, not only the like retrospective nature of being able to reread texts and reread emails, but also just the discourse around it, right? The discursive practices of, you know, putting something in the trash or marking it as unread or that kind of thing, right? There's so much happening outside of just the texts and emails verbatim. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what I think this passage does a does a great job yeah.
1: with. Like, why belabor this idea that Francis is like thinking so much about like what should I write? Oh no, that's not good. I'm gonna discard it and then writing it again. It's it's about she spends so much time actually talking Rooney. I mean, spends so much time actually writing this to show that Francis is anxious um, about what to write to Bobby and unsure and also kind of uncomfortable with the fact that she's offended her friend. Um, so, yeah, I like that she's, Rooney spends so much time writing these deliberations.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it, it's just, I think, it's, again, just having to re reconsider expressions of emotion, right? It's not going to be emotion in, in a more traditional sense as far as, like, like, you know, Francis sat there just stressing about what to reply, right? Because there's mm-hmm. nothing about that. There's nothing about Francis saying that she doesn't know what to say, that she's uncomfortable with the message. We're just getting... All of these other little mundane actions but mm-hmm. in them is is this expression of an anxiety right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it's fascinating and that's kind of what we're given access to um, by virtue of not only you know Francis going back to recall text because there's, there's a lot of instances of that as well in the book where she looks back on these text conversations and it inspires a new anxiety in her Right, being mm-hmm. able to reread and reaccess them. So I think that's a testament to again what these technologies are allowing us, right? We we can keep these archives and in my work I kind of refer to them as like affective archives, right? In that like they hold the affect that they once carried when they were sent immediately, and yet mm-hmm. that still carries, that still has an affective impact on someone when they reread it, when they re experience it. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think that's that's also just kind of captured in this in this passage as far as um, like it's it's beyond like I think these technologies are beyond just ways for authors to write dialogue. I think there's so much more here uh, that's being offered, and that is allowing us to access their interiorities and consciousness. Is um, especially with Rooney who like claims to not, or like that people interpret yeah. as not showing these the, the access yeah. to interiority. So. I think it's just an interesting way to, to reconsider her novels, you know?
1: It, it totally is, and it's not something I would have thought of on my own, to be honest. Like, I, I just read the technology in these novels as, like, simple modes of communication, but you've shown that, like, it reveals so, so, so much more. I have, Thank you. I guess one more question. Where, How do you situate Melissa in Francis and Bobby's relationship?
0: That's a great question, and I I didn't get to delve into her in my work, which I was disappointed by, um, especially because there was the long email from her to Frances. A right, bizarre where,
1: email. It's an insane read,
0: email. <laughs> it's, it's insane. In, it's crazy, yeah. and, like, Frances' answer just being, like... Thanks. See you at dinner. Like dinner yes. Thursday sounds good. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was so I read that
1: email multiple times, and I was like, how did she just end this by inviting them both to dinner with her and her husband? <laughs> like
0: what? Yeah. It's it is fascinating, and like I, I like I'd have to kind of reflect more on Melissa as a character in relation to like Francis and Bobby, but I think the message itself is very much is very much showing this power of, like it's almost giving characters a kind of agency because they're able to just type and send whatever. Like rather than, you know, when you're in person and you're trying to deliver a monologue and you're seeing how someone's reacting or someone's trying to interject, um, she just writes what is essentially just a long monologue that is almost stream of consciousness as far as just how she's reflecting and trying to give advice to Francis. And talking about her in relation to Nick, like it is a really, I just think it's another interesting access to her character that we have otherwise not gotten, and we otherwise don't really get. I think like we get glimpses into her character, but this this long email is the first one where I think we could actually read a lot into it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I certainly think that there's a place for Melissa in the like frenemy dynamic.
1: I think it's because Fran- we see Francis getting very insecure about Bobby's relationship with <coughs> Melissa in Absolutely. a jealous way and I yep. almost wonder if this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how Frances defines her identity in relation to Bobby and so now that Bobby is not going to, like they're no longer the duet but now Melissa is mixed in and is occupying all of Bobby's attention, that leaves Francis in kind of like vulnerable position emotionally
0: I think so. Yeah. Like, absolutely. And, and I, I remember too, like when I was reading, it was really fascinating to see how often like Frances and Bobby were actually conflated with one another. Like Frances mm-hmm. was talking about how, like, I think it was her parents that treated Bobby like a daughter, or maybe it was vice versa. Um, or she was talking about how she wanted to get her hair cut a certain way, but then she was like, no, I'd look even more like Bobby. Like people already yeah. confuse us. Like it's really strange, this sense of like oneness that they have, um, which again, just, I think, Lends credence to the idea that they they are connected. It's their it's their mm-hmm. bond, and they're they're the central relationship, right? And and so I think you're absolutely right as far as Melissa coming in to challenge that, and that would only fuel Francis's insecurity, right? Which is already already not doing great.
1: Um, and Melissa, as a woman, challenges <clears throat> that dynamic more than Nick, who really Certainly. does seem like strictly a side character.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah, I I have not spent much time with Nick because I think, I think the female characters are way more fascinating. But yeah, Melissa is interesting because she is still a side character. And yet, I think by virtue of being a woman is just, just has a lot more power in um, affecting Bobby and Francis's relationship. And I think it'd be interesting to consider... Francis in relation to Melissa, whether you could argue they have a friend type relationship.
1: Well, thank you so much. I've learned so much from you today. (laughs) Truly, like this has been like my brain is on fire right now. This is amazing.
0: Um,
1: I really, really appreciate it, Emily. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. I I've enjoyed this so much. I've been saying recently I've been I've been missing talking about. Uh, books again, especially in a kind of academic context like this. So it, it, I know I was, I know I was doing most of the talking, but I nevertheless really appreciate the chance to share and, and to hear your thoughts as well. And, um, yeah, I'm just really pleased I was able to do this. So thank you.
1: That was my conversation with Emily Farmer. In the next episode, I am joined by Jenny Latre, where we think through themes of solitude, friendship, and the power of love that survives time and distance. Until then, thanks for listening and happy reading.